Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation today. I have with me Stefan von Imhoff. Stefan is the co-founder and CEO of Alts.co, the world's largest newsletter community dedicated to alternative investing. Through their platform, you can discover and invest in the world's best alternative assets. And in addition to the newsletter, you all are actually launching an actual fund, which we're going to get into. But that's how I originally found you. I think you sponsored maybe a daily newsletter that I uh, was on the distribution list for. I you know, saw the sponsorship, clicked through to the link, started getting your intelligence reports and content really liked the way that you had done things and then a good old cold email out to you and and here we are let's start with this how did you end up in australia (laughs) that one's easy uh my wife is from here specifically from a town called adelaide and uh we'd spent uh about 15 years in santa barbara california and, and absolutely loved it but about three years ago, we decided to uh, move back. And so we've been here uh, in Melbourne, Australia for about three years. Interesting timing on that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just, before we went live, you said you, you, you know, quote unquote, finally the inevitable happened is you got COVID. I know you all have been at some pretty severe lockdown. How's that been? You know, boots on the ground for you. Well, I mean, actually, it's funny. I just made the best of the lockdowns when they were here. You know, that's when I started the newsletter originally was uh, 2020 lockdown. Nothing better to do on the weekends for three straight months, pretty much in prison. So, yeah, I just made the best of my best of my time. Yeah, well, a lot to be said for being productive. So let's start with the newsletter. What was the genesis behind the thought there? And it's grown, you know, tremendously. But 
what got you motivated to actually start what is a, a pretty daunting thing for a lot of people? Yeah, I think for me, it was like, again, during lockdown, you know, I want to get into writing again. That was kind of like my thinking. And they say, write what you know. And at the time, I was the head of product at a company called Flippa.com, which is like uh, the largest marketplace for buying and selling uh, websites, e-commerce sites, domains, micro SaaS, that sort of thing. And, you know, one of the big things at Flippa was we were talking about how, you know, this is an alternative investment for people. And um, we part of our kind of mission was to make that a more, you know, popular and well understood alternative investment. And so the original newsletter, when I first started, it was actually kind of focused around that. It was focused around websites and um, micro SaaS and, you know, that whole world. And, uh, but as I started writing, you know, I, I, I realized that as great as that kind of wing of alternative investments is, it's very active and hands-on. And there's a whole heap of, you know, passive opportunities that are bubbling up to the surface thanks to a mix of technology, legislation, and some kind of retail investing tailwinds. And so I kind of started folding that, you know, into the newsletter and it just started growing. And what happened was interesting because there was another newsletter that was kind of doing the same thing. We were both on Substack. And this other newsletter uh, was started by, who's now my co-founder, Wyatt Cavalier. And so Wyatt and I had kind of like competing newsletters for a while. I should say complimentary competing, you know. The point is, I didn't really want to compete with them. This guy was brilliant great writer. And he was kind of attacking the space from like a slightly different angle, which is a lot of the fractional, you know, investments that were coming up, a lot of the collectibles and that kind of thing, which has gotten real popular. So I, I basically just rang him up one day. We'd never met in person. He, he lives in Spain. And uh, I just said, look, man, you know, I don't really want to compete with you. You know, like, let's just join forces and, you know, build something, build something great. And uh, that's pretty much how it was born. We, we never met in person. And we uh, we still actually to this day have not actually met in person. Now that's going to change for the first time in two weeks. Uh, we're finally heading over to Spain and we're going to meet meet my co-founder and, you know, long overdue. But yeah, that's pretty much the origin story. So there it is. It's such a COVID story, right? I mean, you're, <laughs> you're in lockdown. You've got time in your hands. You start a newsletter. You connect with somebody else online. You start a business together. You've still never met in person very much a, a story of our times in a lot of ways. I want to get a little bit more nitty gritty to the newsletter itself. When you were doing it at the time, initially, it was a side hustle or? Okay. Yeah, it was a side hustle. And it was a side hustle that made perfect sense because I was already just so immersed in this world of thinking outside the, you know, the stocks and real estate kind of box. Right. And then that was, it was, it was really interesting because it was like, you started to see so much other stuff happening at the time. This was back in 2020. And you started to realize just how much could be, could be considered an alternative investment, right? Like, you know, and once you kind of get into that mindset, you know, you start to really see opportunities where other people kind of just, you know, kind of gloss over them. And like one of the first decisions we made when we, why I first started talking was like, you know, do we, you know, if we were to build something like, do we verticalize or do we go wide? Like, do we build tall or do we build wide? And we both just agreed, like, let's, this is an amazing moment, right? I think people are kind of undervaluing, like, how big this movement is. Let's go as wide as possible. Like, if it's not a stock, like, we care about it, you know? And that's kind of something we've held true to this day. I mean, there's probably 30, 35 different asset classes that we, that we've covered. There's within that, there's about 15 or you could argue maybe like 20 that are like, you know, the core. There's maybe like 10, 15 that are kind of tertiary, but you know, that whole idea of like, there's alternatives that you can invest in and, you know, that that's never left us. Right. So we, we're not afraid to look at stuff that's like funky or crazy islands, billboards, 
some of that stuff, it turns out, is actually a really good investment. I'll give you an example. It wasn't too long ago if you'd said that, you know, investing in concert posters, you're like, what? Like, no one would take you seriously. It turns out that, like, concert posters are, like, on fire. There is absolutely, there's basically no one investing actively in it. There's absolutely nothing close to institutional capital in this stuff. It's up every year and people are, it, it, I mean, it's a great asset class. It's on the low end, but it's a great one numbers wise. And, you know, this is, this is the kind of stuff we uncover when we start digging. And that's why I love, you know, doing what we do. And I like your tagline, at least on, on LinkedIn and then some of the copy use, which there's a million sites that go into stocks and bonds, right? The 60, 40 portfolio, but there's not, I mean, a lot of people talk about alternatives, but you all do a great job to your point of even addressing some of these tertiary niche strategies and, and investments that I think oftentimes we as, you know, an observer would view as a pastime or a hobby. But what's cool is about what's happening right now is that these pastimes or hobbies, these industry experts can now monetize, right? This, their expertise and they can create communities around them. And we're seeing that play out within different media channels. And, and the way that you structure your newsletter as a community, was that something you thought about on the front end or did that happen organically over time as your reader base expanded? Pretty organically. I think we, we've always had this idea of, you know, we want to, you know, we, we want this to be communal because, and the, the reason is pretty simple. You know, as we discover and uncover each issue, as we write each issue, you got to remember a lot of the time we're not coming at it from a place of expertise. With some markets, certainly that's, we are getting that expertise. And in some markets we had it prior to writing, but with a lot of the themes and topics we cover, we're learning just as much as everyone else, right? So like take like meteorites, for example, you know, we, we talked to a meteorite dealer, like, first of all, who knew that was a thing, right? You know? <laughs> We had a meteorite dealer on our podcast. We did an issue on meteorites. We learned a ton. I would love to invest personally in a meteorite someday. But getting back to the point about community, it's like, you know, we don't pretend to be after one issue, like the expert of all things like meteorite investing. So that's why we really have this community first approach, because you never know who within the readership base is going to know someone who knows someone who actually does know a ton about that industry or that asset class. And so you learn as just as much like by like, you know, really kind of having that, that community mindset, you know, what, the, 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 the thinking is kind of like, you know, we're learning mostly for ourselves so that we can be the best investors that we can be. And we're kind of taking everyone else along for the ride. And uh, that's why the community aspect is so important. Right. And it feeds on itself, right? You get these incredible guest writers to come on to talk about whatever their niche strategy expertise is. And I assume you 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 connect with them through this community that yeah. you built and it kind of feeds on itself. So you get more and more experts, more and more people and expanding that way, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's that's how we think about it. Every you know, for every, you know, new subscriber, they bring, you know, two things. They bring their own knowledge about different asset classes and then they bring their network. They bring someone who knows someone who, hey, when you guys talked about X, like I actually know someone who blah, 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 blah. So yeah, that's that's exactly why we do it. And yeah, it works great. So when you started, I assume is this been bootstrapped between the you and your co-founder, the newsletter? It was bootstrapped for about nine, uh, about seven or eight months of our first, you know, ever since Wyatt and I started working together, we were absolutely bootstrapped. We raised money pre-seed round last October and we raised it on, on the, the backs of, you know, being a lot more than just a newsletter in a community. And we're 
you know, we had these big plans for launching funds, which I think we'll get into in a moment and, and even well beyond that. And so it's great to kind of see, well, first, you know, take that pre-seed money and, you know, see our company uh, really evolve into the next, uh, into the next step. Well, and I want to get a little bit deeper into the newsletter because we've heard, well, at least I have seen, you know, Morning Brew and The Hustle and some of these folks have a lot of success and they've just grown exponentially. Were you always on Substack to begin with? Started on Substack just because it's so darn easy. And also Substack was really having a moment back in 2020. Maybe they still are, actually. I'm not totally sure. Ultimately, Substack was far too limiting for what we wanted to do. I mean, when you talk about, you know, platform and, you know, you know, user-generated content and, you know, high functionality. I mean, basically, if you're building just a newsletter, you can do very well on Substack. But I mean, the moment you start to do more than that, it just it just didn't make sense anymore for us, you know? So, I mean, we, we, we moved off pretty quickly, actually. Um, but it was a great way to get started. I mean, Substack just abstracted away all the difficult parts of, you know, everything and just made it easy to just start writing. And that's that's the most important thing, you know? You know, if we were staying a media company, if that was kind of our end game, like there's definitely big media companies that, like happening on Substack right now. The Everything Bundle, right, with Dan Shipper and Nathan Basquez is a great example. They're building a big business completely on the backs of Spotify. But but yeah, I mean, for us, it just it, it made sense to move off. When you say that when you want to do other things, you mean multimedia or on the investing side? Maybe we talk a little bit more about the constraints that Substack has of other folks in the alternative space who do have newsletters or are contemplating making a change. The, the first constraint that Substack had was just around the, the payment options. So they had a, a very simple, you know, you have a free tier and you have a paid tier and like, that's it, right? It didn't allow for any sort of customization of, of payment or what that gets you besides just an extra newsletter or a special newsletter. The, the, so we ran into a friction right away there. And we, we, did, we ran into friction specifically when we um, launched our first paid product, which was, and still is called Insider. So what Insider gives you is stuff like the actual underlying valuation of a lot of these assets, right? We triangulate the the valuation of assets that we analyze on different investing platforms. And we do that just through hard grunt work, right? Just, you know, looking at the comps, right? Looking at the category benchmarks, looking at the historical data, all of which we've, <clears throat> we've collected over the years and can basically a pretty good number on most assets out there. Some are very difficult. Uh, those are the ones that are the, the funnest to uh, to try to figure out what they're worth. But that's really, you know, that doesn't necessarily require a whole newsletter. It just requires special gated access to different parts of the site. None of that's possible with Substack at all. So we moved to a, a WordPress stack. And even that, we're pushing the limits of what that can give us. So we're going to be moving off of that soon too. Interesting. Yeah, that's a world that I'm not that familiar with. Maybe... Could you talk about <laughs> biggest lessons learned from starting a newsletter, you know, from where you were initially to where you are today, misconceptions, things that <laughs> wrong assumptions, you know, I would love to learn a little bit more about the journey that's been for you in the last two years. Think about like Substack and what's happening here. And like the best parallel we have is like with blogs. And like, so if you think back to like before social media, right? Before Facebook and like Twitter and like microblogging and algorithmic feeds kind of came in, we had blogs and RSS, right? And they're, they're kind of making a comeback now, which is awesome. But for a good eight year stretch, they basically kind of like went away. They went away for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons they went away is people just 90, I think it's 95% of all blogs that have ever been created are abandoned. And most of those are abandoned within like a year, right? 
it is really, really tough to just keep writing every week or whatever your cadence is, but let's call it weekly, you know, consistently for weeks, months, years. It is grueling stuff. If it wasn't for the, you know, it wasn't for the lockdowns, frankly, like I, I don't know if I would have made it, you know, uh, the first year, right? But like four months of that to get started for just, I had nothing else to do, like I said. So it made it a lot easier. But the other thing I would say is like, it's really easy to get frustrated, especially early when you just feel like you're screaming to the void and like no one's listening. It's, I mean, I look back at like when we first started and it was like, you know, I think we started with like 150 subscribers. Now we we do triple that in a day, right? Like, and it's, it's awesome. It's humbling. It's really cool. We've got the machine working. That's awesome. But like the amount of effort I put in back then to each issue is the same effort I put in today. Like nothing has ever been lost. It's just it's kind of like a formula that just works. And that that's the best way I can explain it. It's like, like I come from product management, product development, and there's this concept of like product market fit, as we all know, and it's tough to define, you know, what product market fit is. And there's a whole bunch of thoughts on this and Twitter threads, but the way I've described it is basically really simple. Like product market fit is like, you know it when you see it, like that's it. It's just, are things working? Are your customers like happy? Are they liking what you're doing? Is there like clearly a market for what you're bringing to the world? It, it's You can go into all sorts of metrics and how to measure it. But at the end of the day, it's just, you know it when you see it, right? And that's what I think we always had, except with a newsletter, right? So it was like, the way I think about it, it's like newsletter market fit. It just felt right from day one, like from issue number one, right? Like it never felt wrong. It always felt like I was getting the right feedback, that we were onto something. Just like, you know it when you see it. And that's the motivation we needed to just keep going, you know? Yeah, I would draw a parallel to the to the podcast <laughs> i i don't know what the number is today but when i first started i think the average number of episodes for a new show is like 22 or something right people people start they get going for six months and they think god i can't keep doing this or nobody's listening my downloads are terrible you know and i made a commitment to myself to do 100 episodes before i even kind of looked at my kpis because it is work and the consistency is key right never miss your publishing date always make sure you're prepared. And if you can just keep grinding, you will find your audience. And so I commend you for sticking with it because, you know, many times it does kind of turn out to be a short-term adventure for a lot of people. So you mentioned going to a new platform. Now that you've got the machine set up and you're getting this network effect, what does the future of the newsletter look like? What do you have in store for us that we should be expecting? So the the way we kind of think about it is like, we started as a newsletter and we, we really started to pilot that into a community, right? And that's, that's, where we, that's where we're at today. So we've got a lot of folks in our community, about 40,000 on the newsletter, got a Discord that's active. We've got all sorts of, I mean, we're constantly talking with and to our, our, our community members. And uh, that, so that's kind of like phase one. That was always the plan. Phase two was to really kind of put our money where our mouth is in terms of our investment ideas, right? And I did not say advice, so just remember. But, you know, we we clearly, we do a lot of work in trying to understand these markets and, and like I said, bring everyone along for the ride. Over the past year and a half, we've done a pretty good job. We have a pretty good track record of making accurate market calls, right? It turns out that you can gain an advantage and you can, you know, there's a lot of arbitrage opportunities in these markets because they're new, they're poorly understood, they're often thinly traded, they're often illiquid. You know, over time that kind of gets arbed away. But in the meantime, like we've got a real opportunity to basically 
you know, tell people like, look, this asset here is definitely undervalued and like, you know, maybe stay away from this one. I don't know what's going on there, but I wouldn't personally invest in it, et cetera, et cetera. We do this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of assets over the past few years. And we've tracked our own performance and we've got really pretty darn good returns, right? So uh, we're looking at about 82% over the past 12 months, except that that's not real because it's not official. And the, the way to make it official is to do something which our community members have been asking we, we should do since day one. And that's put your money where your mouth is and start an actual investment fund. Like how great would it be to just invest in your recommendations or invest in your index or invest in your ideas? And it's like something we wanted to do since the very beginning. I think it was like conversation number two that like Wyatt and I had, it was like, so we're on the same page about like starting a fund someday. Yes. Okay, cool. Like this is awesome, right? Let's do this. Um, now starting a fund is no, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work and, you know, we're thrilled to have just launched our very first flagship investment fund, the Alts One Fund. And we'll, we'll get into that in a bit, I think, but, you know, in terms of like our evolution, like that's definitely, this is a very key moment for us, right? Because now we're more than, you know, we're, we're basically, we're, we're standing up for what we believe in, in a very public and in a very public way. And we're not just bringing folks along for the ride, you know, through our content, we're bringing them along for the ride through great returns. And so that's, it's a super exciting moment. As far as going forward, uh, I can't get into the roadmap, like ultra specifics, but I can say two things. <laughs> Number one, we definitely want to bring more than just funds to, to life. We want to, funds are great for passive investing, but there's a lot of active management features and products we want to bring to the world as well. And then number two is we will definitely be moving off of WordPress because we're actually completely breaking the uh, <laughs> the limits of what WordPress can give us. So there's a little tease for the future. Yeah, and we are going to get into the fund a little bit, but before we get there, and I think it is the natural extension of what you're doing in terms of the newsletter and the community. And when you get that feedback, you should act on it, right? Yeah. But you just alluded to to the growth. What were things that that you would have done differently? And then what has really worked in terms of are there hacks that you recommend to create this network effect that you're clearly experiencing today? Well, the network effect, I think, just is just a function of growth, period, right? Like the networks networks get stronger as there's more invested people, no pun intended, in the in the network. So the key is to grow, but not just grow for the sake of vanity metrics, grow real solid subscribers. And so I think you, you mentioned that you you saw us on a another newsletter, right? We'd sponsored another newsletter and you saw us and then you said, Hey, cool, right? So that that's how many, many people have have found us. We in terms of growth hacking, I wouldn't call it a hack necessarily, but that has been a, a key way that we've grown for sure. And it makes perfect sense, right? Like if you're reading a financial newsletter about stocks or about something traditional or about real estate, right? And you see an ad for like, hey, like, do you want to learn a whole lot more about just than just stocks or real estate? It's like, well, you're already reading one financial newsletter. Like, here's another one. Oh, cool. Like, check us out, right? Like, it's very easy to subscribe. It's a low friction kind of thing, right? Um, it's not asking for a credit card. It's not you don't really have to do a whole lot. You basically just tap, browse. Oh, I like what these guys are up to. Subscribe, right? So that's works really, really well. But that's not necessarily a hack. We do have a great growth hack I'm very happy to tell you about. One of the biggest growth hacks is one that I learned from from Flippa, actually. So, you know, working at Flippa, and even before then, you know, kind of that whole world is about, you know, micro acquisitions, right? So it's about like, you know, buying growth as opposed to starting growth from scratch and, and basically buying time. And that's something that like I've carried with me all through this entire experience. So one of the biggest hacks, the ways that we've grown that no one else is doing 
is we've basically, we've bought like three other, uh, newsletters and micromedia sites up till, up until now. One of them was a, a site slash newsletter called Arc Watcher. And what this newsletter did is it basically tracks the movements of all of the ARC Invest funds, Kathy Woods funds, which, you know, have been getting hammered lately. <laughs> so take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, for a while there, people were really keen to know like what her funds are uh, buying, what they're selling. And so what this, this newsletter did it was an automated, basically Python script that just pulled together, scrapes uh, the ARC Invest site and pulls together all of the buying and selling activity. And then what we did is we showed it in a historical context. So Every single day, this newsletter get, gets emailed out and it shows you not just what happened that day, but what happened over the past um, month. And uh, so this newsletter, it's interesting how we were able to obtain this because this was right before our pre, our pre-seed raise. And I really wanted to, I don't want to say like boost the numbers, but I wanted to show some really strong growth and momentum going into the fundraising. It just, it's a great story and it looks better. It's just awesome. So what I, my thinking was, I'm going to do a big blast of newsletter sponsorships and really juice the numbers that way and get our name out there, just kind of front run two months worth of, of sponsorships to really boost the numbers. And one of the newsletters I reached out to was this newsletter, Arc Watcher. And I said, hey, look, you know, we're looking to boost the numbers. What do you have available in the next like few days or week? And the guy who ran it, this guy Stan, He's like, you know, it's funny that you you uh, you asked. I'm actually looking to sell Arc Watcher. Like, would you be interested in buying? And I'm like, let me call you right away. <laughs> so I just called him up. I mean, we made a deal in like three days, and you know, I can't share exact numbers, but you know, I did my due diligence, and I mean, we got like, I think we got nine or ten thousand subscribers for for a really good price, a really good price, and um, folded them into kind of our network of. Um, empire, whatever you want to call it. And um, so, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, you know, I think the biggest growth hack out there that no one's talking about and that, that people should be considering is just, is just a uh, micro newsletter, micromedia acquisitions. Um, and that's probably the, one of the, the funnest things that I love most about what we do is that doing the deals on those is just feels terrific. Yeah. I think people really underestimate the power that these affinity networks have or these distribution lists with with really active communities. I was <laughs> met with a friend this morning in Nashville. He's a data tech media guy. He said that he just did a deal with Publishers Clearinghouse. You and I think of this as a pretty old line business, right? They have 200 million email contacts. Whoa. Right? And they are of, of a certain population, right? They're not us, but they're our parents. But still... They're a data company, right? And you know they still send out the mailings, and they did ninety million in revenue last year. Well, anyway, yeah, so, yeah, no, it's, it's tremendous. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild stuff. So let's get to the, to the fund, right? I totally understand what's doing on the newsletter, and I think this is a natural extension. Like I said, especially if you're getting this type of feedback from the community itself. What I'm more curious about is considering the expertise or the community that you have, and all these different strategies. How do you think about asset allocation with the fund? How do you think about investment sizing and timing? And how do you tell that story efficiently to your audience or to prospective investors, considering you're doing a pretty broad approach to a, to a big tent of quote unquote alternatives? Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Get started by joining the Capital Club where you'll get exclusive access to alternative investment opportunities, 
premium content and education, and an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals. You can sign up by going to our website at www.excelsiorgp.com. So there's a huge broad tent that we cover for sure. But within that, there's definitely asset classes that we know best, right? And so uh, the Alts One Fund is focused on the areas that we know best, where we have the best, you know, the biggest edge, the biggest advantage. And so it focuses on, first and foremost, collectibles and culture, right? Collectibles are kind of what's driving a lot of the alternative investing craze right now. I think nostalgia is real. Investors and collectors are flooding into everything from like baseball cards to video games, comics, which, you know, by the way, like comic books are just really taking off right now. You know, toys, cultural, historic assets, you know, manuscripts, rare books, vinyl records. Vinyl is one that we are like so, so excited and so bullish about. In fact, we're actually creating the world's very first vinyl records index. It's like never been done. No one thinks about this stuff yet. Vinyl is coming back, not to sound like one of those guys, but just look at the data. Like vinyl is absolutely up. Um, you know, I think people, the, the, the quality of the music is higher on vinyl. People love the artwork. It's a, there's a nostalgia aspect as well. And it's just vinyl records, especially like original pressings and signed records. They're just underpriced. And there's no one touching this stuff from an institutional level. Like no fund out there would like buy a vinyl record signed for like 50 grand. I mean, it's just a rounding error for these large funds, right? But for us, it's perfect. You know, this is exactly the kind of stuff that we we know how to value and we can see that, you know, the trends before anyone else. And so, you know, that's just one example. But um, yeah, so it really, you know, the fund really focuses on like collectibles and culture. It's a, a, over a third of the allocation is going there. We are putting out some allocation towards um, towards crypto and NFTs. Controversial for sure, but there's just no denying that if you, you know, if you're smart about how you invest, I mean, they can be phenomenally profitable. Don't get me wrong. I think most NFTs are basically junk going to zero. Yeah. Um, and NFT PFPs, the uh, JPEG art kind of stuff. I think a lot of that's just greater full theory on steroids, but there's no denying there's absolutely blue chips forming, right? Blue chip NFT communities essentially forming, right? Like look at what's happening with Board API Club, right? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a brand. It's a, it's a, it's much bigger than just a JPEG image, right? And you got to understand that. So we're looking at all sorts of stuff from, you know, NFT collectibles, NFT music, games, metaverse land to some degree, maybe some altcoins. Artwork is pretty much a staple of any, I, you know, I think if you're going to be a serious alternative investment fund, you, you can't, you know, wine and artwork are pretty much the staples there. And that's because like wine and artwork are like, depending on how you look at it, they're either the the oldest like new modern alts or they're the newest old ones, right? It's kind of like in that weird middle Either way, they're definitely, there's a lot of history there and they're having a moment. And um, wine especially has just been like completely like up and to the right. Like it's like there's no recession. There's no just constant, constant increase. Much to be admired there. So yeah, wine artwork are about 10, 15% allocation. The one I'm most excited about, and there's a few others, you know, we've got sneakers, we've got some other interesting stuff. The one I'm most excited about is music rights. Music rights to me are like, just the most exciting and underrated asset class out there. And, and the reason is simple. There, what streaming has done to the industry is it's created a consistency of cash flow, right? And 
you know, like when, when songs come out, when artists develop records in the old days, they had a big spike and then it went down and that spike made millions and millions, millions of dollars. And then it kind of went down and it got off the charts and it kind of bubbled along, right? With streaming, there's a lot of chatter that, you know, artists aren't making as much as they used to. And that's true up front. They don't make as much as they used to. They don't get that big bump anymore. What happens with streaming is it's just slow and steady, consistent revenue over time. And so you, whenever you have consistency of cash flow, you've got a great opportunity for investment. And again, there, there's a lot of activity happening with music rights, but it's all in the high end. There's big buyouts happening. Bruce Springsteen sold his catalog, right? Recently. Bowie. I mean, um, who else? I mean, there's just, there's all this activity on the high end, but no one's paying attention to the low end, the low end buyouts, the low end catalog buyouts that absolutely could and should be happening. So we're partnering with industry experts for everything from deal flow to uh, helping with the legal side of acquisitions. And we are really excited to make some some catalog buyouts and put that in the Alts One fund as well. Um, so it's it's a totally actively managed fund, opportunistic um, in the uh, assets, in the asset classes and areas that we know best and where we have the biggest advantage. Yeah, music royalty rights is something we've talked a lot about on the show and being in Nashville, <clears throat> know some folks in that world. And I agree, I think it's pretty attractive space. So you already answered one of my questions, which is going to be, what are the most exciting ideas that you have right now? I think you covered that. But like you said, Alts is a pretty big tent. What are some things that you're staying away from that you find don't offer a good risk-adjusted return right now? It's a good question. I mean... Well, one thing we don't we don't invest in is startups. Um, we cover startup investing from a analysis point of view, right? We look at a startup about once a month. Um, these are startups that we find through the community or through like WeFunder or AngelList or Republic. But as far as investing in startups as part of the Alts One Fund uh, is not something we're doing. The the fact is, it's just we're not venture capitalists. That's not what we're set out to do. The time horizon is just too long. I mean, this is a 10 year fund and that's a long time horizon already, you know, but I mean, it, it can, you can wait even longer than that for a, you know, for a, a startup investment to pay out. And you got to make a lot of those investments for them to pay out. So yeah, this isn't venture capital. So we're staying away from startups completely. We're not doing any sort of, you know, we, we did a survey before we launched the fund and kind of like asked people like, you know, what assets are you most interested in? What are you least interested in? And we didn't take it like one to one, but there, there was it was clear that people weren't that interested in investing in cars, automobiles, classic cars, which um, I actually understand. The market's pretty odd. You could make an argument that you you know it's it's wise to to dip into that a little bit, but we did, we decided not to. We're not touching traditional real estate, right? So we're looking at what we call alternative real estate. That's you know things like uh, vacation rentals, cold storage, or just storage in general, elderly living facilities. But as far as like single fam or multifam, we're just there's plenty of other funds already doing that, right? So we're we're staying away from that. And then of course, last but not least, like we're just we're not buying any stocks at all. I mean that probably goes without saying, but um, but yeah, we're staying away from equities completely. So you're you're speaking to the converted here, but for other folks that aren't convinced. Could you make the case for why alternatives need to be a part of everyone's portfolio of investments? Just look at the last few months, man. <laughs> I mean, the best, it's funny because like, you know, you look at like, all right, what's the original alternative? The original alternative is like gold, right? And it's like, you know, what happens to gold every time there's like a world crisis or a financial crisis, like gold shoots up, everyone piles in. It's the worst time to invest in gold. <laughs> you know, the best time is like before there's a crash, like before the, there's, there's problems, right? And so, 
you know, I think that what's happening in the world right now is pretty fascinating, right? Like, first of all, you've got, you know, you've got correlation, like, to an insane degree happening, right? Like all stocks basically move in tandem. Like, I don't know what it was like in the 50s, 60s, 70s, but like, I mean, right now it's it doesn't actually matter. 90% of all these ETFs and, and stocks are all basically kind of like the same anyways. Even crypto, it was supposed to be the original hedge, right? Bitcoin, I should say, right? And Ethereum. And it's exactly the same. It just right all now that the institutional capital has moved in into such a you know, big degree, it's all the same. It doesn't make a difference, right? You're up when you're up and you're down when you're down. And if that's your investing, like, like where's your advantage coming from, right? If you're just literally doing what everyone else is doing, like where's your advantage going to come from, right? Now we're not against stocks at all. Like stocks are absolutely like a huge part of like me and I can almost guarantee everyone in my company's like investments, personal investments. But again, like it, it, it's, it's just, if you're just piling into the same stocks, especially if you're like, you know, our age, like probably piling into the same growth tech stocks, you're just going to get slaughtered when they go down. And it's just, you know, in the long run, it'll be, it'll be fine. But alternatives offer just, they offer diversification and they offer an opportunity to buy stuff that's uncorrelated. And while there is some correlation with some alternative markets, for the most part, they have, you look at the graphs and they're just completely separate from anything related to the markets, right? And this is why alternatives are such a great option is that it offers that true diversity and it offers the uh, way to truly buy assets that are uncorrelated. Not to mention the other big reason, which is that, you know, traditionally like alternatives, the, the returns have been fantastic, but they've only been available to the ultra rich. And this has been like, you know, if you've seen ads for Masterworks, if you've seen ads for the million of the platforms that are coming up now, they all kind of parrot the same thinking, but it's true. Like it's only in the past five, six years that the combination of regulation and technology has allowed anyone to invest in all sorts of new asset classes, even if you're not accredited, right? Through what's called a reg A plus, right? Uh, in the U.S. And so, you know, you, you co- combine all this together and it, it's just a no brainer. I mean, I think we're living in a very fascinating, but really awesome time for, for investing. We have full control now over investing in what we believe in. We're not limited to what our financial advisor uh, recommends, which is probably the same stocks that everyone else is investing in anyways. Right. And the key thing, though, is just that having that education. Right. And that's where we come in. Like we, we don't pretend to know it all. We don't pretend to be experts on every single thing, but we do guarantee that we research the absolute heck out of everything that we, we look at and we take you along the ride with us and we learn together. And, um, you know, that's, that's what we're happy to bring to the world. Well, Stefan, I want to thank you for coming on. It's been awesome. I, I highly recommend people check out the newsletter. I'm excited to learn more about the fund. I think you're going to come on our capital club event as well and, and kind of pitch to our uh, network, which I'm looking forward to. If people are interested in learning more about the newsletter, the fund, or the content you're creating, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Best way is just alts.co. And, you know, if you have any questions at all, like we are absolutely here for you. The community is growing and it's large, but we're not, I mean, we respond to every single email we get. So that's just Stefan, S-T-E-F-A-N at alts.co. If you have any questions um, or, hey, if you'd like to Love to come join us. Um, you know, we're hiring. Just uh, drop me a line. Yeah, and I can back up what he's saying because I sent him a blind email and now here we are doing a bunch of stuff together. So he is responsive. So I definitely recommend you reach out. Stefan, thanks for making the time, which I know is, is kind of middle of the night for you or I'm not sure exactly when, but I really appreciate you carving it out. 
And I wish you the best of luck with the, the newsletter and the fundraise. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 